The Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Lacrimosa. Castlevania, Symphony of the Night. This is staying in. I, for one, am disappointed in you all. This is our Christmas episode, and not one of you has put in the effort. I am sat here in a Christmas jumper and a Christmas hat, sipping a cup of Christmas hot chocolate, and the, none of you have done anything. Well, Shame can I just you. say, Dan, you can't see my trousers, you can't see the back of my shirt, and you can't see my underwear. Well, th- so, But, yeah, that kind of defeats the object of being on camera, then, if I can't see anything there. Yeah, but you don't know, you don't know how Christmassy this shirt is below the cut-off right, line show of me. Zoom. Show me. No, I'd rather and not. I've got a picture of Saint Nick tattooed on my ass. Do you want me to get that <laughs> out of the camera? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting Christmassy, but it would just be too much. And or, and also, I've only just got my first Christmas jumper, um, thanks to Chris, last year, and I think I just get too warm. Ah, oh, dear. I don't. Do you? I don't feel. I don't feel Christmassy at the moment. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I don't feel Christmassy at the moment. That's all right. What can I do to get into a Christmassy spirit? What's the thing? What are the things that you do that basically tells your body I'm in a Christmas? <laughs> My body. Yeah. Well, uh, well, quite famously, I've read a Christmas Carol every year around this time for the last. Famously, I want to. Yeah. Famously, yeah. Um, for the last like twelve years, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that that's usually my big like. Right, it's Christmas now. A Christmas Carol's mm-hmm. coming out, mm. and and roughly when does that happen in the year? Like like what uh, week? Like, like first week of December, second week of December. There's not really. I, I wouldn't say a specific time because it depends if I've got other books going on at the uh, uh, at that time. Like I'm waiting to finish a book and then I'll and then I'll pick it up. But mm. I usually I it's always read before Christmas and maybe like a couple of like sometimes like um like a week before maybe. To really get myself in the in the so mood. You're primed. I think the one thing that that really gets me in the Christmas mood at the moment is the Exit Games Advent Calendar. Oh yes, mm-hmm. um, that's become like my new, like it's Christmas now. I get to play with this big massive Advent Calendar and do a little puzzle every day. Like that is that is really like like I think Christmas is the time for for indulgence. And it really feels like that's a really indulgent, indulgent thing that I'm doing every day. See, for me, yep. it's a similar thing, but I probably start, I probably start feeling a little bit Christmassy around right about the start of November because I do like, like me and my wife, we will kind of make our own advent calendars for each other, and it's got to the point now where I put, I put a lot of work into it. And so, like, it's around like the start of November that the, those kind of plans really start coming into place, and I actually have to put them into action. So, like this year, I've done. Um, she's. I've got like all these little kind of fabric stockings, and in each of them, there's a clue to a hiding place where there's a special treat that day. So she opens the thing, has to read the kind of clue or riddle, and then find it. But obviously, that takes a lot of time. So from the beginning of November is when I'm really starting to like buy the stuff in that I need to get start thinking of in terms of this year anyway start thinking of clues and all that stuff and so by the time advent actually hits I'm in a very Christmassy place so it is the advent calendar that kind of really gets me in that mood but that mood starts probably a month prior month well yeah because it takes a lot of work a lot of work that's a lot Mm. of work Chris so because my birthday falls in November 
I, I can't start thinking about Christmas. I literally just blank it out until November the 23rd, day after my birthday, because right. I it, it, it irritates me otherwise that, you know, Chris Week is eclipsed by the festivities. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I was born like four weeks earlier than I should have been. Can you imagine? I would have been slap bang right in the kind of the main zone of Christmas if, you know, if all things the main had gone to zone. Plan. Yeah, that's what you call it. So um, for me, what the what, first thing I do is listen to carols from the choir at Cambridge, King's College uh, carols. I really love that, particularly Oh Holy Night, which I first heard when, in Home Alone, like most people did. True. Like that for me, carols and stuff. We were at Christmas Market the other day hearing a brass band play Good King Wenceslas. I don't know. For me, it's become quite musical, Christmas has. That, that for me, it's, it's something that is an aural tradition. Hmm. That's interesting. I think the other thing for me is the me to food ratio. <laughs> like when that when that starts to really decrease to the fact where if I don't have to get up for food, right, we're Chris we're we're really Christmas in now. We are we are full yeah. on in the Christmas mood. Yeah. As soon as the me to food ratio in distance is pretty much one to one. We, we, we're getting our Christmas on now. What about you, Pete? Do you do um, any of these things? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the advent calendar? Have you, have you, have you, you given you... your workers a de- Christmas off? <laughs> they were they work double. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I um, okay. Well, there's one thing that really screams uh, Christmas to me, and that's Bailey's. True. So good. Call. So I'll have a, a glass or two of Bailey's. Maybe a few Every day. nights before. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, you know, maybe a few nights before start then and then, you know, polish the bottle off uh, uh, you know, within a couple of weeks or something like that. My mother uh, drinks an entire one litre bottle in a day. Oh, oh my gosh. Beans. I know. Now, 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 if if you're not familiar with Bailey's, because I am very familiar with Bailey's, it is seventeen percent alcohol by volume, so it's not mucking no. around, right? No, no. It, it's it, it's about three times the strength of of and like it's lager, it's fifty percent right? cream, pretty much. That's the that's the major problem. It's a huge amount of sugar and cream, like an absolutely gigantic amount. And uh, yeah, so I don't know how she sleeps <laughs> that evening, <laughs> like just full of like, uh, but um, yeah, so. Um, so there you go. That's one of the uh, that's one of the things that I sort of know. It's Christmas. Right. If there's one thing that signifies Christmas, it's presents. Oh yes. And each year we do a lovely thing for each other, which is to buy each other presents in secret, and then open them. On the podcast, it's very self-indulgent. It's very navel-gazy, but hey ho, we we we're gonna do it. So, sorry. Does anyone want to go first? I think let's bring a little bit of Christmas cheer into Pete's life. Yes, and let Pete go first. I yep. think I think that's how it works. So we 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 basically we 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 put out little requests just to steer each other mm. a little bit, don't we? So Pete, what yeah. did you ask for from Father Christmas this year? Well, I basically said that I wanted to create strange but simple visual art for a commercial 
RPG material. Uh, something to help me with that. So, for example, materials, tools, and so on. Uh, so things... Because basically, folks, I'm not very visual. Not very visual at all uh, in terms of... Or at least I'm not able to be creative visually. I'm very, very bad at that, generally. Yeah. Um, like, just like that. And that isn't me like, <laughs> I'm just no good. It's like, no, I know I'm good at certain things. I'm bad at art and visual art, I should say. So uh, I really wanted something that would help me with that. And because I've been doing a lot more writing recently. So I wanted to do some art to go with it. So I could don't have to um, pay artists. But AI art's coming out now. So who cares about this? So, um, oh, well. Merry Christmas. Yeah, happy Christmas. So um, it could be anything, couldn't it? It could be anything. Um, so I'm going to open it up. Our budget this year was £20. £20, yeah. yes. Thanks, Liz Truss. <laughs> <laughs> it, it trickled down. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, so I've got. Oh my goodness me! What's in here? What is in here? I've got two items. I've got, no more than this. Is this actually my Christmas gift? Hold on. It's yes, it is. Okay. Well, one is ooh, a copy of a game called Warborn which is an absolutely fantastic PlayStation 4 um, turn-based tactics game from uh, our friends at Redrop and P-Cube, who are based in Bristol. Both of them are based, based in Bristol. Um, and it's basically Gundam, uh, which, uh, Gundam turn-based Advance Wars, which is not quite... <laughs> That's not what, what I asked for. for. But that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But, we'll move but on. I would more argue inside. the best gifts are often. There's more inside. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Santa went off book for that one. That's wonderful. Uh, so what else have I got here? I've got um, two sheets of printmakers carving blocks soft cut. Create your own works of art and experiment with artisan printing techniques with this high-tech carving material. Ooh. Uh, it is easy, ideal for all users, from beginners to experienced print, printmakers. It holds fine detail without crumbling, and yet withstands the pressures of a printing press. Well, <laughs> hopefully there's a printing press inside of this small uh, Amazon delivery box as well. Hold on. Let's just have a look inside. And this is a... <laughs> this is amazing. This is a... SD Taster Kit Lino Cut. Discover if you love printmaking too. Be creative <laughs> and carve your first lino. Oh cut. my word! So, so basically, um, this has so it's apparently according to SD, their mission is to encourage new artists to try printmaking. Tick. Um, and this Taster Kit enables budding artists to create beautiful lino cuts without committing to expensive tools and equipment. Um, so basically, you get like little carving things. You get um, some block material, and you get an ink roller, and you get some ink. So yeah. I get to a carve AI art something can out. suck it. Yeah, <laughs> AI <laughs> art do one. I've got the SD taster kit. I've got the printing press. But what yeah. I like about that piece is, in terms of the kinds of RPGs you've been writing, Catcock Collection still available. I think something like a woodcut image would actually really fit into the aesthetics I totally of that. Quite, I love yeah. a, good, a kind of a woodcut image that you see in certain old mm. books. I think that's yeah, really, totally, really, totally really, really lovely, actually. It's so, it's super, super cool. Like, it's, what is, the, oh, this is actually a block. 
Oh, this is like a spare block. Yeah, you did say block several times in the description. Oh, yeah. It's called a carving block. Oh, I see. So you basically put this onto... You see, this is how bad I am at visual art. Yeah. This is fantastic. And the other great thing about that, I I would guess, is that... uh, (laughs) I would guess is that if you're... If you're creating something that you're attributing to your work, because it's mm. on a block, it's easily replicated. Yeah. So you can literally create Fact. it and then just print it and print it and print it. Print it and print it. I could do a load of them. Um, I was thinking about doing, and I don't know if I should record this and commit it to um, thing because it might very well end up in court. But what I was thinking about doing was uh, inspired by something Chris's friend did. Um, I was thinking about creating a, a really small one-page RPG um, and uh, printing it out and uh, uh, and then hiding it in books in, like, Waterstones or the library yeah. or something like that. Um, I was thinking about doing that. But if that does happen and uh, the books end up in, you know, those RPGs, an RPG somehow mysteriously ends up in uh, the fine libraries of Bristol City, it wasn't me. Are you going to put your name to it? I don't know. No, probably not. Yeah, yeah no. probably not. No, probably not. Just yeah. whittle your initials in the core of the print. Yeah, the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No one will that know. Is, that is absolutely wonderful. And genuinely, that uh, I have actually really been wanting to play Warborn for ages um, uh, because uh, I've been playing Advanced Wars recently. Like, I've recently been... Yeah. Uh, Customers uh, who bought to... this also bought. Also bought <laughs> Warborn. Um, uh, and I'm genuinely looking forward to that um, because I've been, yeah, as I say, I've wanted, been wanting to play it for ages and ages and ages now. So uh, that is a haul. Thank you so much. Sam, you and I hung out. Hello. Uh, We did, before I got ill. Before Before you got got ill, those dark times where you weren't able to make it to the previous pod, always Pete. Pete wasn't ill, but I was was desperately, desperately sick. As, As is often the case when you and I get together... It's. Mm-hmm. I go. Oh, Sam. I'm. Fr- yeah. So should we get together? Sam's like, yeah, great, great, great. I've got a stack of games we need to play, Chris. Come on. <laughs> and I felt really bad because the previous time I got around to Sam's, I was actually quite knackered and quite ill. So much yes. so, Pete, Dan, that I barely finished my dinner. Which, if what? you ever need an indicator that all things aren't well with Chris, that's it. And unless he'd given you soup. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Sam and I, Sam and I played a game. I can't remember what the game was that we played. Something to do with the it moon. It was Lunar Capital. Lunar, Lunar Capital. Capital, which is which is actually a a pretty decent little little like town. It really is. Game it really is. Where you're, um, it's a four player game, and each player plays like a faction, or or like a, a corporation who are trying to basically inhabit or create habitats on the moon. And there's 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 nothing in it, in it that's really groundbreaking in a sense. You're doing quite sort of recognisable board game things. If you played any sort of village builders before, you're just picking up tokens and placing them in places in order to score like points, basically. So buildings adjacent to other buildings, or um, in direct like line of sight of other buildings, or placed in certain locations will get you. We'll get you loads of points but i guess what's interesting about lunar capital it's just that theme and just that direction of being on the moon which was which is really enjoyable actually the art style is really cute in it isn't it as well yeah yeah i love the art style and actually 
it's got the one thing Luna Capital in that I would appreciate in every board game from now on please board game publishers designers and distributors is it actually has in it a page which tells you how to put everything back in the box <laughs> yeah because you got a bit of, you get a little bit of that in Stonemaier games on the side of the box it'll tell you how to put everything in yes which yeah, I do quite yeah. like I, I just I, I really like Luna Capital is from Devere and they are a company that really does care about like the overall like tactility and experience of the game like getting out of the box unpacking it and putting back in like all of their games have that same sort of level of tactility and lunar capital is no different like it has comes with this like rocket ship which holds all the tiles in has a little deck um holder for the cards like every part of it is so wonderfully engineered it's so lovely to play i don't think it bowled me over as much as i was expecting it to but i think it, definitely your mileage will vary with it however there is another Devere game that I really want to share about on the podcast because it probably is the game I've been most excited about and excited to talk about on the podcast all year. And because I, I'm, I'm really lucky and through the podcast and through just general bad spending habits, I do play a lot of games and I don't get excited about playing them all, but some games excite me. However, Lacrimosa, from Devere is one game that I've been so excited to play ever since I heard about it because it's a game all about Mozart <laughs> and in a landscape of board games that are about dominance or war or ghosts battling and murder mysteries and you know sunken treasure and selling cows up at kansas all this kind of nonsense to have a game that comes out and is all about the death of mozart like <laughs> this is gonna sound really weird but i couldn't be more excited <laughs> about <laughs> about about playing playing that game and it, and in terms of playing it was one of the most lovely and pleasant evenings i've had because the soundtrack was sorted the setup was was an absolute breeze like me and Chris, I think I can't speak on his behalf, but had an absolute whale of a time playing Lacrimosa. It's again, I think like your mileage with it will vary in terms of how much you actually enjoy these types of games because it is quite a a big sort of chunky Euro game, and by that we mean you're doing a lot of things on your own personal board. You're not really interacting with the player across from you, and there's quite a lot of jostling and consideration about what you're going to do on your turn and what you're going to do next lots and lots of chunky different decisions however i will say that if you even have a passing interest in board games i think this is a game you you have to play because the theme and the application of it and the direction of the board game is just is unlike anything i've ever experienced before and and going back to that kind of thing you mentioned before sam with the with with the the emphasis on tactility that Devere has, mm. you look at a board and it's that kind of typical Euro thing where it's quite intimidating because it looks very very busy. But when you realise that actually that board is split into sections and actually you're not attempting to do everything on that board in one go, that you're actually thinking, well, no. just for this go, I'm going to do this section, and that's determined in part by the cards you've got, which have a dual purpose. And every player gets a little board, and you 
where you slot that card and you do slot it in, it's very satisfying into those balls oh, at the top yes. or the bottom and it just slots in beautifully. That's like, I'm committed like to doing this action. Gun. Yeah, yeah. Um, insert a musical metaphor there. As, it, as Sam says, Mozart wrote like over 600 pieces of music in his life. And can you imagine this composer has died more or less in, I think it was like poverty or something. It was. And... And all these other composers, me and Sam, have got together to try and finish their works. Mm. So, yes, Sam and I are competing with each other. But, and I don't know if you found this, Sam. It was a bit of like, oh, yeah, he's gone there. I wanted to do that. Okay, well, he's moved this. Okay, right, interesting. But the common goal is that together we're trying to do something for this person that's mm. no longer here. Yeah. And that. As a, that as a kind of a premise for a game is incredible because I could easily imagine, and there probably is lots of board games out there that are set in this era, era probably some that may be kind of classical music related. I could understand, oh yes, we're, we're playing out the life of Mozart if that was a game or we're wafting in that era of that time. But to have this where, oh no, Mozart's gone. Your job is to actually do essentially archive work. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But... But it, it's not just that. At the bottom of this, you've got this musical stave. And Sam and I are literally thinking, I'm going to take that instrument here with this composer here. Or I'm going to write, I'm going to perform this composition. And Sam was hilarious because Sam, Sam, oh, yeah. Sam, you developed this ability where you would buy, I'm going to buy the rights to perform this. I'm going to perform it. And then I'm going to perform it once. And then I'm just going to sell it. <laughs> so I bought, I bought the rights to Don Giovanni, probably one of Mozart's most um, famous uh, operas, along with the Magic Flute, which I also bought. And I performed Don Giovanni once and then just sold it <laughs> just to get myself around the victory points track. And it was those kind of absolutely like bonkers moments where we were like playing fast and loose with the, with the heritage and the lineage of this, of this great composer. That I just started falling in love with what Lacrimosa does, because because uh, on the on the kind of the, the whole, it's it's not doing anything that something like Concordia. So there's area control, there's resource management, there's um, everything. All the actions you do are played. You can only do an action on your turn if you play a card that has the action. Mm. However, unlike Concordia. Everything you're doing is framed in this way of, of, of Mozart and his death. So the game is structured in a way where you are working on behalf of Mozart's sister and she's trying to basically compile this, this legend, this history of, of Mozart. So along, alongside that, you are also trying to, as Chris was saying, complete his final his final piece of work. So the area control part of the game isn't about, oh, I've got the most figures in Rome, so therefore I'm the big bad in it, is I've got the most timpani drums in this part of the section of Lacrimosa, so therefore <laughs> my composer that I hired to work on it is the best. Here are my victory points. Look how many like, timpani drums I've got. <laughs> like the resource management is different tokens that represent parts of um mozart's life and you use those tokens to buy pieces of his music and that allows you to create a little engine so there's engine building in it again but unlike in oh my goods where you're 
processing wool and turning it into coal and then turning coal into iron, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Instead, you're buying pieces of of music from Mozart and you're turning that into money and then you're selling that into essentially like for, for prestige. And then there's another part of the game where you are... Uh, and, and this is the way that I, I imagined it in my mind, how we were playing it, is whenever we were playing an action, we were essentially sitting down with Mozart's sister and telling her and sharing her the stories of how we'd interacted with Mozart in our lives. So there's a mechanic in the game where you can send Mozart onto journeys through parts of different areas of, of Europe. And and that's kind of a way that you can easily pick up resources, but it's also a way that you can manage um, end game stories and manage objectives that you can score at the end of the game. But it's it actually what it actually does is bring up really nice moments where you can like be, oh, I remember that time that me and Mozart went to go to Paris and then we had these wonderful these wonderful adventures together. And oh, I remember this time that we oh yeah we went back to Salzburg and we and we and we did this together and. And then Chris will tell his little stories about how he he went and ventured off to go to do something with the old, with old Artsy, as I was calling him by the end. Um, yeah. It didn't stick. No. Mechanically, is it is it doing anything really differently? I, I don't think so. I think if you played something like Concordia, then you'll be very very familiar with with how this game works mechanically. But the way the game feels, not only to tactically play, but also to like mentally play, like like structurally think in your head how these turns are playing out and what's actually happening as you are performing these actions it's just so interesting and just so narratively uh, vibrant like one of my favorite games of all time great western trail starts off that way and it starts off like here i am with my cows we're going off to kansas oh nearly bumped into that person there oh narrowly missed that doing a bit of trading selling my cows by the end of the fourth or fifth turn it's just become bare economics and you barely care about your cows anymore it's just like yeah i've got this 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 and this is 30 points i'm off i'm off back to go and get some more cows however the trick that lacrimosa does is from action one to the very end you care about what you're doing and you really get care about trying to live the best life for Mozart and to really get across like how great of a person he is and that is just a tremendous trick for any game to pull off and Hmm. really if you can experience it you've got to play it so who comes next I think you decide Peter Whittington yeah you you decide me decide. Um, I'm going to go to our most festive person, Daniel. Okay. Uh, I have a gift here. Lovely wrap. I must say that the wrapping in this is has been excellent. It's beautifully mm. wrapped. Arrived in bubble wrap as well, so top, top mark. Well, mm. well what did you ask mm. for, Dan, first? Oh, yeah. I, I, I get too excited. I think I do this every year. I get too excited about the presents. I asked for a game slash board game slash puzzle that I can enjoy with Toby, who's my five-year-old little boy. So a game that kind of crosses generations that I can enjoy with him. So let's see what uh, my Secret Santa has decided. Ooh, okay. The game I have received uh, is a board game. <gasps> it is a cooperative whodunit game Ooh. Uh, from Game Right called... Can you see that? Outfoxed. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. 
Cool. So, yes. So, this, uh, I don't know much about this. Uh, has the Oppenheimer Toy Portfolio Best Toy Award. That sticker sat on there. Uh, the Platinum Best Toy Award. But this looks great. Mrs. Plumpet's prized pot pie has gone missing, and now it's a chicken chase to crack the case. Move around the board, gathering clues, and then use the special evidence scanner to rule out suspects. You'll have to work together quickly because the guilty fox is hightailing it towards the... I think the fox did it. I think, I think the fox did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Guess who? I mean, I, I, don't need to, I don't need it now. Two to four players. Ages five. This looks fantastic. This looks like this looks really fun. Dice. He likes dice. Um, he likes animals. He likes cards. This is going to go down very well, I think. Sam, I can see you rapidly going on to BGG to find out information about this. What? So what yeah. is... Well, one of the recommended um, Kinderspiel de Jar uh, games, which is... That's actually prestigious, really... Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, super The prestigious, prestigious German award for for specifically Kinderspiel, so children's games. Um, so that's pretty much like a massive, massive seal of approval for a game like this. And Game Right, excellent publisher. And mm-hmm. like, I think, as Chris attests to, if you're introducing board games to anyone, going co-op is sometimes the best yeah, yeah definitely best direction to go to well yeah a lot of that when i so. play games with him even games that are meant to be cooperative often we we end up just playing it as a cooperative game just so like there's no loss there's no win-lose scenario it's just kind of let's make up our own end game type thing so if there's a game where you have to complete a puzzle first we'll just do it until the, we've both completed it together kind of thing yeah, so this this kind of says that it's about kind of teaches kids about cooperation in games, uh, deductive reasoning. Um, so these are all kind of new age wise. As I say, it's it's from five and up. So that's from Toby's age and upwards. So it's kind of perfect for him now. Um, thank you, uh, Santa or Father Christmas. I never like what I'm saying Santa, but it is Secret Santa. So, um, but thank you very much. This looks absolutely gorgeous. One of the things, weirdly, that actually makes me feel a bit Christmassy sometimes is going back and playing games that I've played before. Usually, it will be. Mm. It's often a platformer. It's often, I mean, it's very, it's very usually something that I played before I was eighteen. Uh, so something that was from, you know, my childhood. You know, <clears throat> Super Nintendo era, PlayStation era, sixty four, maybe that kind of uh, period of time. And recently, I received my limited run physical edition oh. i've been spending too much money on limited run i'm, I'm a sucker yeah. i'm an absolute sucker for all of that stuff you really are i really am uh the uh on uh, and i received uh the castlevania rondo of blood and symphony of the night double pack which is those okay. two games on playstation 4 i think they're on nope i think it's only playstation 4 i don't think both of those are on switch yet uh got those um, and um, I've also been playing uh, another Castlevania game that I haven't played before called Aria of Sorrow. Talking about lots of musical instruments. And that was on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, so new to me, but uh, an old game. So the, 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 the one that I've put the most time into is Symphony of the Night. And that is the one that really reminds me of Christmas. <laughs> so I played that one back in the day on the original PlayStation. A wonderful game. Have, have any of you played it at all? Symphony of the Night? No. No, I've no. never played a Castlevania game. I've watched the Netflix series. I haven't either. Have you really watched the Netflix series? Yeah, yeah, my partner got me into it. Okay, you actually might very well like Symphony of the Night. And the the reason is that, for me, it was actually my proper starting point with Castlevania as a series. And I played it back in the day... 
It's maybe a couple of years after it came out. But the the reason I think you would like Symphony of the Night, and the reason that I would recommend that one over any other, starting with any other, is I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think every, every Castlevania game before Symphony of the Night is just not nearly as good as, as that one. So Rondo of Blood comes on the same disc, uh, and if you buy it digitally, I think it's a, a, a two-pack. So you get Rondo of Blood, uh, which is fine. Uh, it, it it's okay, but it's very stiff uh, to to play. And basically, these games are they kind of get divided between two different eras. There's the early era, which is the NES era, the PC Engine era, um, which is essentially a 2D platformer. It's linear. Uh, you go from left to right on the screen. It's 2D, as I say, uh, and you power up and power up your way through the game, and then you defeat Dracula at the end. Um, it's a very difficult platformer. Uh, once you jump, you're committed. So it's that it, there's no floaty jumping, like in like in no. Mario, for example. Once you jump, you are committed to it. Equally, if you get knocked back, there's no saving yourself from that knockback. Uh, and the reason I bring this up is it's very easy to fall off of things. This is a platformer where every single jump really, really matters, right? Like it's just. Yeah, and, and I don't think that... I, I think that a lot of those early games aren't very good in by today's standards. At the time, they were really fascinating. Uh, and Castlevania 2, I think it was, which I believe was called Simon's Quest. Um, <laughs> I know. Simon's I know. Quest. <laughs> Simon's yeah. Quest. It's, it's um, bo- when, you've got, when you've got Symphony of the Night, it's like, George is gone. George's adventure. Barry's big day out. So, um, uh, in uh, Transylvania, Simon's Quest was kind of a proto, um, what would eventually become Metroidvanias. And this is really important because the entire genre of the Metroidvania Mm. is basically essentially gets its start properly in Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And that's why it's called a Metroidvania. It takes bits of Metroid, so. You have no powers to begin with. You build up all of your powers. Uh, They allow you to explore different areas of the space, like the very earliest Metroid games. Um, And the Vania comes from Castlevania Symphony of the Night, I would would argue. Um, And that is more about... It's a really large space to go and explore. Lots of detail in all of the spaces. Really good platforming. And also an RPG-like mechanic whereby you are getting better. So if you if you hit yeah. a load of creatures, you'll get experience, you get higher experience, higher levels, and you become more powerful over time. And it's the first time it really happens uh, in Symphony of the Night, and it is amazing. So you play Alucard. Now, spoilers for anybody who's ever played Dungeons & Dragons uh, back in the... Uh, not played Dungeons & Dragons back in the day. Uh, Alucard is Dracula spelt backwards. Uh, so, um, uh, and, uh, what, uh, hang, on, what, hang on, I'm just thinking. What's Simon backwards? <laughs> um, and the story itself follows on from the other uh, earlier Castlevania games. Yes, they do have a story. Yes, most of it was in the manuals uh, in the, in the earlier games. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, the the whole the whole of Castlevania is about the Belmont clan. So Simon Belmont, Richter Belmont. Uh, a bunch of other different Belmonts, um, and they are all—they are vampire killers, uh, and they are essentially the family is cursed to always be the family that has to defeat Dracula when Dracula appears. Okay. And they've done this throughout time, and so this is the first one where you play from the very beginning. I believe it's the first one uh, 
where from the very beginning you do not play a Belmont. Um, and it's actually by playing as Alucard, you, it's kind of an exploration of a history, a, a fictional history for the Castlevania fans that are interested in what, what happens next. But it's also a, exploring a history of their previous games. It's also it's a moment where the 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 team that created it essentially drew a line underneath the older games and said, okay, now this is what Castlevania is from here on out, and it is this you know genre, literally genre defining game uh, that comes along that completely changes the way that we think about that kind of those kinds of games, and obviously it would become hugely influential. So games like Hollow Knight, for example, would simply would yeah. not exist without Symphony of the Night. It just, it, yeah, just, just would not, just not, would not be there. So I went back to it because I was feeling, I was feeling like, like I wanted to play, like decompress and wanted to play something like that, that was kind of familiar. And so I went back to this PlayStation 4 version and my God, it's amazing. Like, uh, it's a perfect port. It's absolutely incredible. The pixels are just sh so sharp, so crisp. Everything looks really great. It's got an um, amazing set of very smart achievements. So that if you know nothing about Symphony of the Night and some of the incredible things that happen within it, that again are—I don't want to spoil too many of them—but uh, a really, a really good example of this is a lot of games at the time would have like a percentage complete. So like, hey, this is how this yeah. is how much of the game that you've that you've beaten. There is an achievement uh, that is related to that. And the achievement is receive 206% completion. And the reason that's really important is because there is actually a, uh, a part of the game in which you think that you're right towards the end and you realize you are not. And it is, it, it, it's brilliant. And I won't, I, I won't spoil too much of it for you. Um, but those achievements are really clever because they basically set out a lot of the really interesting things that, that the game does that's kind of hidden away that you have to kind of go and find out for yourself. You know, we'll go and spoil yeah. it all for yourself on a walkthrough. And absolutely amazing. And it also brings with it everything that I think is really good about a port. It's really smooth. The whole thing, I mean, obviously it's available on modern consoles. Boots up fast. It's cheap. Uh, so if you want to get an original copy of Symphony of the Night... Good luck. I th I think when I sold mine, it was and this was like just in the third year of university, so many, many, many years ago now. Uh, I think it was two hundred pounds I got for it. It's Whoa. now worth a lot more. Um, so if you want to play it you know, digitally, is definitely the way to go, unless you go and grab a yeah. limited, limited run version of it. And it, I've forgotten how tight and meticulous the whole thing is. There is. You know when you play like Nintendo games and you you just you you get how much love has been just jammed into every single bit of it. Like you go and play Mario Odyssey yeah. for example and you can't move 5 feet without finding something really cool and yeah, something that yeah. delights you that kind. Of, well, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is is the same. Every single room that you go into will have some kind of unique beautiful pixel art in it and some of the best pixel art you will ever see there are incidental in animations in the game that you might see once throughout your entire playthrough and they are just phenomenal all of the enemy design is really really thoughtful all of the boss design is very smart there is a a boss in the game which uh, is absolutely haunting even as a 2d pixel art game it is 
unbelievably disturbing. And the first time that I beat the thing, it genuinely sat with me for a very long time. The platforming, the puzzle of working your way through the environment, the designers, you can just feel the designers going, ah, very clever, but we've thought of you trying to break the game like that. Yeah, yeah. Really smart. And and it's one of those things that I think is different from all of the other Castlevania games in that it still holds up. I think that Symphony of the Night is the first one where I, I, I think it's the earliest you can go back to without sort of pulling down some slightly rose-tinted glasses. Like, Rondo of Blood is on the same uh, thing, and it's very obvious that it's earlier in that there isn't the fluidity of movement. There isn't the... Yeah, it's, it's a well-made game, but it's a well-made game from earlier and not really attempting to do all that much different and interesting. Whereas Symphony of the Night is, from a historical perspective and just from a pure gameplay perspective, just... It's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. If, if you've not played, so like myself, I've not played a Castlevania game before, but I've played, I've played obviously, Metroidvania games. Yes. So I do have an interest in the genre. Would Do you think Symphony of the Night is a is a good place to begin or would you recommend something like Ritual of the Night, Bloodstained, um, as so being same, a more modern entry? Yeah. So yeah. same creator, but being a more modern entry to the series. So I've not, I've not played that one, but I would say that, I would say that if you were to start here, it, because it is the one that begins it all, you see, you will see tons of amazing ideas that some of them got continued in other, other games that would come later either within Castlevania or outside of the series. Um, and some of them just didn't. Like, some of the things, some of the ideas just got forgotten about and were just in, in, implemented in that. Um, I think that the first 15 minutes of the game is probably some of the hardest that you'll play. <laughs> like, uh, 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 10, 15 minutes of the game is probably some of the hardest Metroidvania that you'll play, especially when you play when you're Alucard. And... I think that that might put people off for that first 15 minutes. But I think once you've got your first couple of deaths out of the way and restarted, because obviously, you know, start again, I think as soon as that happens, you get you get into the swing of what this game wants you to do. And that is understand the layout of the, of the castle, understand what all of the enemies can do, and fight your way tooth and nail through it to level up, to become more powerful, so that when you come back here in a few hours' time, it's 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 just you know it's a it's a cakewalk. Um, and I do think that it's it is good enough. Uh, as in, I think it's I don't think the genre has evolved enough that that you that it's unrecognizable, right? I think if you were to go earlier than Symphony of the Night, if you were to go and play Simon's Quest, for example, you could see moments of Metroidvania and go, oh, that's really interesting. But it would be like it would be like playing the latest copy of FIFA and then going back and trying to play sensible soccer, for example. Like you would realize how much of a difference there is, right, between those two things. So yeah, I personally think if you've any if you if you know the genre at all, it I mean app and you haven't played it, I mean, oh my goodness me. Like this is a history lesson. It's incredible. Um it's some of the, you know, it's fifteen, sixteen hours of some of the best game Metroidvania that you'll, that you'll ever play. Um, but if you've never played one of those kinds of games and you thought, oh, okay, I would quite like to play a game along those kinds of lines, I think this is a great place to start. Who's next, Dan? Okay, uh, I think next is going to be Christopher. Awesome. It's me. Hello, I won. Okay, so... <laughs> 
I asked from Father Christmas if I could have something to assemble at my kitchen table that uh-huh. gives me that zen-like feeling of doing a jigsaw or Lego. I really like that feeling of doing something with my hands at the table. A mm. little bit of foley. So let's, let's jump in, shall we? And I've got a lovely notebook here, a Claire Fontaine blue notebook with a, a, a lovely printed card on it that says, check your email. Okay, so I've got an email from Santa that says, okay. season's greetings, Christopher. Spelt my name wrong, but it's okay. That's right. You can do the voice. On this fine Christmas occasion, I'm delighted to present you with a gift for this splendid day. You asked for Lego or a jigsaw or something to give you a zen-like state of mind, so I've got the elves working and put together a somewhat more abstract idea. I hope you like it. In your hands, Build your own f- Lego. <laughs> yeah. Imagine your own Lego. No. In your hands, you will find a small journal, and your gift this year is to turn this journal into a unique artifact through the solo RPG game Field Guide to Memory. Ooh. Created by Yeon Shim and Xing Yi Ko, as a live game across the space of 20 days, Field Guide to Memory is a narrative journaling game where you build your own journal through personal entries and correspondence. This game can now be taken to complete your own pace at the kitchen table, but also encourages you to explore real-world nature, incorporating this into your narrative. Hopefully this relaxed time frame and the exploration of the natural world will provide you with the zen-like experience you desire. If not, let me know, and I'll send you through a box of Lego. <laughs> to collect your gift, click here. Merry Christmas, Santa. <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what. If the if the publishers of uh, of that uh, are listening to this, if they end up doing another Kickstarter for something, I would suggest that this is the voice of your trailer. Yeah. Basically. So thank you, Santa. Just sent me a wee transfer link. So I'm just downloading it now. Often does. Good old Santa. <laughs> he, he really is everywhere all of the time, isn't he? I know. Yeah. yeah. No expense spared. This, I love this sort of thing. It's a little bit, little bit like you, Dan, with the advent calendars. It's this little treasure hunt I've got now. I love the presentation, the kind mm. of the knotted string here, the twine and the printed car. That is gorgeous. What a beautiful object are. Because I love journaling RPGs. Um, we've done yep. artifacts. Um, thousand year old vampire which is spoken about in the pod before <gasps> this is great so it is literally like santa said so over a series of days i'm going to work my through work my way through this kind of framework where this this book will become not just a book full of writing but drawings artifacts and objects that i will find all responding to like different frames of reference and, and different, sorry, different sets of instructions. Oh my word, this looks lovely. Oh, there's like newspaper clippings. Oh wow, it's like a full on artifact. This is great. Oh, thank you very much, Santa. So this is a field guide to memory from Yi Yong Shim and Xing Yin Ko. That looks fantastic. I look forward to cracking on with that because I haven't actually, I've, I finished that solo RPG and I've not carried on with another one. So um, this will be the one I will start. Uh, come 2023 thank you and i look forward to reporting back in a year's time like i did with coffee talk as to how i'm getting (laughs) on with this did any of you see um 
on Disney Plus the other day, Marvel have been doing these special feature presentations. They've been doing, they've done. Oh, yeah. They did Werewolf by Night, which was okay. And yeah, just don't have the time for all this content, Chris. I know, coming at you thick and fast, particularly now as you and I, Sam, have moved on to high art with Mozart and Lacrimosa. It's true. I mean, like, you know, we used to cover everything on this show, and the fact that we've not actually talked about Wakanda Forever is, I don't think it's a detriment to the film, which I actually really enjoyed, but it's just so much. Yeah. And, like, I just feel like, Especially with this, like, I don't really know what this extra Marvel content is, is for. Like, I know that they've tried to justify it in a way. And James Gunn has come out and said that the, um, oh, that the, the the Guardians holiday special, you've got to watch it. You've got to watch it or else Guardians 3 doesn't make, won't make any sense. Like, it's got some crucial, no. like, bits. I, I don't want to be hoodwinked into just enjoying part of my evening. Thank you, no. James. No, 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 not at all. Um, no, this is, I get the sense these special feature presentations are what the old Marvel one shots used to be. Do you remember back in the day where you used to get those little kind of little yeah. five, six minute things? These are seem to be no more than like 45 minutes. As I said, we had Werewolf by Night that Michael Giacchino directed. Um, this, this one is the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, which I think in part was a kind of a riff off the Star Wars holiday special of old, which I never saw. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I mean, so I mean, I know there is, I know there is lineage, and I know there is like history of, yeah, of doing it. But yeah, come on, is it worth, is it worth my time, my precious, precious minutes on this earth? Well, I have, I've, I've seen it. Has anyone else watched the, the? I have seen it. Yes, we watched it on the weekend. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of. It is obviously. I think they they they've talked about the fact that it is a kind of a riff and using the kind of the Star Wars holiday special from a long time ago as kind of a as an inspiration point. And I think over here in the UK, we've probably got a bit more of a closer connection with the kind of the genre of the Christmas special. Like I I did have a look online to see kind of like what are like i couldn't think of any like american christmas specials really like of american shows that i liked and when i was Many looking cartoons. for them the only things that were really coming up were kind of like just christmas episodes within a series so it'd be like oh this is the friends christmas special i'm like well no it's not it's just a normal friends episode just happens to be set at christmas and i don't think they have the same kind of kind of tradition that we have at least kind of on a regular basis of the christmas special so we have like most years we've got the Doctor Who Christmas special. Years ago we'd have every year Only Fools and Horses, stuff like The Office and Extras. Both of them had their final big series finale as a big Christmas special. It was kind of a a real kind of it was an event. Yeah, it was it was like it was like a proper like yeah a, event kind of thing that you would have in and like series would look at we're gonna we want to do and it's a special thing to do a Christmas special. It's not just another episode that happens. Like you'll watch certain shows and you'll have a Christmas episode and you'll have a Halloween episode and you'll have a Thanksgiving episode and that's just the theme of a specific episode. Whereas these were different. There sometimes they were longer in length and they did all this different stuff. And watching the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, it does play out in that same way. It does play out very similar to your your Doctor Who Christmas specials and your Only Fools and Horses, where it's perhaps a longer length than a regular episode. Mm-hmm. that it would have been and obviously we're looking at kind of the films and stuff but in terms of like a half an hour show extended it is and you have like one story which extends 
often it's not a massive story because they need to be all wrapped up in a 45 minute slot it does play out like the christmas specials that we know um and i don't think that's naturally to its detriment but i think it is important to know what it is and the, the point you make there sam of you didn't want to feel hoodwinked into watching it if i hadn't heard that that had been said that you needed to watch this if you wanted to know what's going to happen going forward if you want to understand it like you don't like there are one or two small but significant plot points but like i could tell you those and that's it like it's you, you're not going to miss anything major the kind of the the premise of the special is basically the character of peter quill star lord is still we we kind of pick them up the, the the premise of the episode is we kind of pick them up after we've after endgame and after thor love and thunder gamora is still lost um and peter quill is still quite depressed about that and so as a way of trying to cheer him up drax and mantis decide they they find out this thing called christmas and decide to cheer him up they want to get him the best christmas present they could possibly think of which is kevin bacon and that's the premise it's a funny premise it's a christmas special premise that's all it is and then kind of what happens you end up with a lot of situations of kind of sketch comedy let's put some characters in awkward positions and let's see what what happens those two characters in particular have always been kind of fish out of water characters even in their own environment like Drax with his kind of literal take on everything and then Mantis with her kind of confusion about not understanding kind of the social cues those have always felt fish out of water so they are the natural things to kind of take away from the Guardians environment and say okay let's pop them in another world and let's let's watch them have fun Mm -hmm. but the problem is it kind of just plays out like that and if you're expecting a Christmas special that's fine but if you're expecting Guardians 2.5, that's not what you're going to get. So it is a problem if they're kind of trying to sell it like that. I hadn't heard that. I just watched it because it came on. And I was like, this will be fun. It's only 45 minutes. It's not too much of my time. And it's kind of throwaway. It's kind of frothy. It's kind of like candy floss. It's there and then it's gone. It was fun yeah. while it was there, but I'm not going to watch it again. It's not something I'm going to go back to every year as a Christmas tradition. Because it's not. But it was it was well done for what it was. So- so who's it for? If you if you're halfway through a bottle of Bailey's, it's like <laughs> it is like that's who's it for? Yeah, like I I I think I don't know. It's really weird because are you gonna uh, like we talked we talked about like some of the things that get us um, Christmassy? Is anyone really gonna sit down every single year and go, all right, now it's the time? Right, we've watched Home Alone, we've watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Daddy, we've watched Scrooge. Daddy, can we can we watch it? Can we watch the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas? Because that's really what like we're playing down, Castlevania, about, son. Like, yeah, <laughs> when you talk about those Christmas specials that we have in this country, like the reasons why they have such lineage is that you can watch them every yeah. Christmas, and people yeah. do, and, and they're, they're on television on, they're every Christmas, and yeah. they're on television every single Christmas. Yeah. So for this, for me to have any sort of like no, what like for any sort of uh um what's the word for it to have any sort of staying power um, staying power for calling itself and for the and to earn the right to call itself a christmas special it's got to be something that yeah every christmas i'll sit and watch kevin bacon being kidnapped no, no not at all i mean it does have i'd agree that i wouldn't like it's not something that you're going to watch every year it doesn't have that um that that thing that element that grabs you for that i mean it it is christmassy mm-hmm. it does have that sense and it, it, it uh, like a lot of these 
especially something like a Doctor Who, which kind of plays on themes of Christmas in terms of how it tells its story. It does do that, and it looks at, okay, what does kind of Christmas mean? How can we bring that into this world that we've created? And it does do that, but it doesn't have enough that makes me want to go, okay, yes, brilliant. It's made me feel really Christmassy. And I, so I want to watch it next year. As I say, you stuff, stuff like The Office and Extras, I, could, I will watch those again just by themselves. I don't have to have watched the previous two series in order to be able to enjoy it. I can watch that by itself, and it's a very, very, very good piece of television. This is fun while it's on, but then it's kind of gone. And you, you kind of talk about the fact that there's so much content. Like, for me, as I was watching it, I was kind of I was accepting the fact that this what it, it was what it was. It was a Christmas special, and that was fine. Um, I wasn't expecting necessarily anything else, but it just really cemented me it's like the final puzzle piece of this whole post End Game period, where up until that point, perhaps End Game and kind of Far From Home, it was there was a structure, it was clear, it was concise, it was a set of movies standalone which told a story. Each told a story, and then overarching story was told. And that was like clear and understanding and you could go through it. After that, because they've factored in the series, some some longer, some shorter, some episodic like She-Hulk, some very much um, lengthy, similar like Loki, which was very much a one long story. Even something like WandaVision was kind of a little bit of both. It was both episodic and kind of ongoing narrative. They've seemingly ticked every single box of things that they could do. And now this kind of, these, it is... The, my my thought was it's like the one shots as if the one shots like the hail to the king and all the stuff around um the agent Coulson character like it's almost like they were just like testing the waters with those to see would people be interested in watching smaller form ideas on on lesser characters because in terms of the guides of the galaxy you've got taking out Drax and Mantis are two of the lesser characters. They're not the main characters of that group. That's your Gamora and your Quill. Those are the lead roles in that. So you're taking the smaller characters and focusing on them. So in doing that, like they've, I don't think there's any genres of that they can really go to now. It is the very last one. So you now have this bloated mass of content, which is very difficult to pick apart. And it's very difficult to kind of, okay... I need to watch this and this and this. This, this. It makes it very, very difficult to comprehend the wider story. Whereas previously, it was very clear. And I think that's where people have had so much problems with it. And this was, for me, just that final thing that said, okay, kind of a full stop. We've reached the 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 zenith of what we can do. And so we're just going to go around in circles now. Yeah, it ticks a lot of those kinds of boxes. And it is quite sweet. You know, there are moments which are kind of nice and quite touching in there. It hits you in the feels. But would I... Is it an essential viewing? No. I would like Sam to go next, please. Oh, me? Here we go. My request was simple. I wanted a video game that I have not played with an incredible soundtrack. Asterisk, in your opinion. (laughs) So here we go. A red envelope. And open it up. It's a secret Santa on the rear. Right. It is a card from emotionalrescue.com. And it's got a man in a green jumper and a red hat, a bit like Dan's. And he's a bit like Pete is going to do. He's um, drawing something on a table. Uh, with some black uh, ink and he's drawing an F 
and drawing a U and drawing a bit of a C. And the caption says, Christmas Eve. And Norbert began preparing his traditional welcome sign for the local carol singers. There we go. The Christmas, Christmas cheer there. <laughs> to Sam. We're inside the card now. To Sam. It's me, Santa. Merry Christmas. Your secret Santa, again, that's me, has bought you Cult of the Lamb on Steam. Mm. And then there's a load of numbers and letters. Enjoy. Fantastic. Well, brilliant. Let me just, I just have to see if it's uh, Steam Deck verified. He was a bit more laconic with you than he was with me. <laughs> no, yeah, this is this is incredible. And I'll be really interested, obviously, in the soundtrack because that's what I was actually exceptionally interested in because this year has been, for me, the year of incredible video game soundtracks. Mm. Mace Combat 7 to Tunic. Um, probably the best thing about that game that has been like something that's really really stood out for me today actually i started playing prey on my steam deck recently which one the um, the one from arcane okay uh, and yeah. yeah that soundtrack is also incredible and the game's pretty damn decent as well but yes so cult of the lamb uh, sam it's river boy is the name of the composer oh i've not played it uh the soundtrack is incredible uh, from what uh, Alex tells me. Um, so she's just finished it. Uh, and um, if you imagine, the best way of summing it up is imagine the kind of soundtrack that might happen if you were to cross something like Animal Crossing with with the, 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 the sort of uh, the Jonestown Massacre. Oh, well, I, I understand there's lots of poo in it as well. There's also a fair amount of poo. Yeah. Was that one of the things you put as your requirements, Sam, and you just forgot to mention just then? I think I think people just take that as red these days. Shall we finish this episode with a with a short Christmas quiz, which I've just put together while you've been talking? Oh my word, Sam. So it's just two questions. I'm going to give you the titles of three Christmas specials, and I want you to tell me which one isn't real. Okay. Okay. Lay it on me. So you've got The A-Team Saves Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever. Or Christmas Comes to Packland. Oh. And the Packland it's referring to is... Apart from the the A-Team... If the A-Team one is fake, right, then I'll be really upset. Yeah, because I want to watch that. That sounds brilliant. (laughs) The other two sound... Pete, Pete, I'm planning to to come to you after Christmas. Shall we watch one of these? If the A-Team... No, you know, if the A-Team one is real, you and I are going to sit We're going to watch watch that, that yeah. Let me tell you, if the Packland one is real... I'm going to be so annoyed because they keep trying to make Pac-Man have a narrative and I hate it. It is genuinely one of my pet peeves in all of games that Namco seems to think we care about the deep lore of Pac-Man. Right, okay, 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 Pete. Get you, okay, 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 cool. So, Sam, you want, so two of those are real? Two of those are real. One of them's Oh my gosh. I've got to go for the A-Team just for sheer belief that if I believe it, the universe will give me the ultimate yeah. gift. Yes, I, I, I think the A team is false. Oh, Dan, I, I think there is a. I think there is a Pac Man in 
at Christmas. I I think I hope that the A team is real. I think the false one has got to be Grumpy Cat. Worst Christmas ever. I just can't. I that sounds real to me because there's, a, there's a touch of irony there because that's got a story of redemption, hasn't it? Really, or the other way around. It's like Blackadder's Christmas Carol, where he starts off really nice and becomes a <laughs> bastard by the end of it. The pack one's not real. I am saying the A team isn't real. Okay. Uh, the Grumpy Cat's not real. <laughs> Very helpful. Okay. Peace out. So the odd one out was was A team saves Christmas. Told you. I told you. Oh, that's real. My Christmas. I know my Christmas that's... stuff. I'm the only one here in a Santa hat. Come on. I'm really bummed out now. I'm really. Right. I got, I've got one more. One more. So out of these three, which one is not the real Christmas special? I okay. don't. I, nothing matters anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the X Files, how the ghost stole Christmas. No. No. <laughs> no. 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 But, no. But they did have some weird episodes. They'd have those, those really funny offbeat ones that were just a little bit off kilter where it wasn't oh, told from their okay. perspective. Don't say the rest. Okay, the Junkies Christmas or Night Riders Christmas Miracle? Uh, I, I don't know what. What's the Junkies? Uh, the the junk the Junkies Christmas is um, an actual Christmas special about a junkie, someone addicted to opioids, and their Christmas. So think trains think, so think the train spotting Christmas special. That no, that's not real. That's not real. There's no I'm going with Knight Rider. Dan, don't. I'm saying that Knight Rider is not real. I think that X Files is real and, J- and Junkies Christmas is real. So I'm saying that Knight Rider is the odd one out. Is anyone else going to guess? Anyone else making guesses? I'm going to say. I mean, I'm so crushed by the A team. I don't know what to believe anymore. The yeah, Knight no, the, the Rider one isn't a real one. Pete? The one that isn't real is the, the, the junkie one. I cannot, I cannot believe that human beings have stooped that low. <laughs> Of course they have. So the the Christmas special, which is not real, is Night Riders Christmas. Oh, Miracle. what? I told you, don't mess with me. I've got a jumper and a hat. I am Christmas. If only we could somehow use these powers for good, Dan. Once a year, I get them. Both of those would be perfect. And there we go. Here's Junkies Christmas. No, I don't. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, of course we are. Well, that's Christmas ruined. So thanks for that, sir. <laughs> that's all right. I'm just bringing you the specials that everyone wanted. And we all got what we wanted. Yes. We, yes, we did. We did. Except for now, ne- for next year, I want an A-Team Christmas special. That's what I want. And a Night Rider. <laughs> one. A-Team meets Night Rider. <gasps> oh, what a crossover. We'll make it. Well, if you want to make our Christmas special, then uh, <laughs> why not get in touch with us through this holiday period no matter how you're celebrating no matter what you're doing who you're with we'll still be here in some capacity um online and you can find us at staying in pod pretty much everywhere twitter or whatever it's called now um <laughs> don't, don't, um, don't. <laughs> instagram facebook yeah, we're all, all there all the places staying in pod also also right and here's the thing okay and this is this is this is what we're asking you to do okay so Everyone's gathered around the fire. Everyone's sharing presents. Listener, mm. what you need to do is when you've got the family and friends all around you, say, <laughs> yeah, great, aunt. That's, that's fantastic. Anyway, has anyone heard about the Staying In podcast? Now, if you just do that <laughs> at, your, at your big family gathering, 
tell them how much for, how much you love listening to this nonsense every couple of weeks. Um, that would really do you do us a huge favor. You know that's that's yeah, that's called absolutely. viral marketing, folks. Um, and you can be a part of this Christmas. What a gift to give some. What 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 is a more greater gift to give a loved one at Christmas time? Yeah, yeah. Than than an ad read. Yes. And if you want to, if you want to send us a question, um, then of course you can do uh, either of the uh, the places that we've already mentioned in terms of Twitter and Facebook uh, and Instagram, or you can send us an email, stayinginpod at gmail dot com. And at this time of year, um, uh, as we've demonstrated in this show, it's very difficult buying gifts, even when people tell us exactly what it is that they want. Um, so if you are struggling with a gift for someone that you love uh, or a family member, then uh, you can go to our Board Game Geek curated pages or our Steam um, curated pages where we've listed everything on there that we've spoken about, video or board game um, related. So if you're looking for something and you're not quite sure if the, the person in your life will enjoy what it is, then you can have a little list of stuff that we talked about. If something catches your eye, you can get sent straight to that particular episode hear us whittering on about it and go, yep, that's perfect for mm-hmm. Cousin Brian. Tell him we sent you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've got any uh, recommendations for us, if there's something that you either maybe have got for Christmas or you've seen ever, or anything like that, like please send that through and we, we'd love to hear kind of what your recommendations are as well. Because obviously we, we don't always see everything. So it's always nice when someone points you in the right direction. Like we try to do for other people. So yeah, you can do that for us and we'll, we'd will we love to have a look at those as well. Yeah, and thank you to Devir Cosmos for sending us a wonderful copy of Lunar Capital and Lacrimosa. Mm. Thank you very much. That's made made my Christmas. Chris has put some Spotify playlists together. I don't know if they're Christmas appropriate, but it's a conversation starter. Turn it off. Turn it up. What the hell have you put on again, John? It's... Going to get the family going, so it's worth it. Who's all the details are in the show. Guaranteed floor fillers, everyone. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Okay. It's Christmas. That'll do. That'll do. All right then. <laughs> all right. Then. <laughs>